Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, I have with me Amanda Thebe, who has just recently written the book called Menopocalypse, and I just told her I was going to struggle with that word, but I did it. <laughs> um, and this is an amazing, amazing book. It is so well researched. It's got amazing dose of humor in it. It's very practical. Um, and I think it's like an incredible guide to how we survive, not just survive, but how we thrive in menopause. So welcome, Amanda. So happy to have you here with me. Good to see you, Jen. I'm excited to be here. Good. So this is your second time around on the show. I think you're my first second time guest. Yeah, you are my first second time guest. I love um, that. I'm, I've, yeah, broke that virginity. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I broke my second time. <laughs> <laughs> and the last time we talked about menopause, but this time we're talking about it in the context of you having written this incredibly well-researched book. And I know you've learned a lot in the process of writing this book and from your own experience as well, too. So I thought we'd jump in and maybe just share a little bit about your own menopause story, because I think there's so much in there that people can relate to. So I, yeah, essentially needed, I, I felt the urge to write a book because my own story, very similar to many other women, led me to realize that there was a lack of information out there and many of us are left floundering and I needed to change that. There was, there was a, a wrong that needed to be put right. I um, turned in my 40s, I you know, felt like I was doing really well. Um, I felt strong, fit, healthy. I'd invested a huge amount of time and energy into you know, just being the best version of myself that was available. And then when I was in my early 40s, around about 42, I started to feel unwell. And it was symptoms of vertigo, nausea, and ultimately they were migraines with aura, like a vestibular type migraine. And it would leave my face numb, my side of my body all with pins and needles. I'd often have my head down the toilet and I was sometimes like crawling on my hands and knees so I wouldn't fall over. It was a horrible feeling and I started seeing lots of specialists like neurologists, ENOS, throat doctors, you, you name it, I saw that specialist and I had MRI scans, CAT scans, balance testing. I had so many things looked at and all of the doctors genuinely wanted to help me but they couldn't come up with a reason why I was struggling. You know, they, they never got to the root cause and so mm-hmm. for the nearly two years, I sort of struggled with symptoms that drastically impacted my quality of life drastically impacted my relationship with my husband and my children and my social circle because then I started struggling with a depression that I didn't understand I didn't actually think no I was depressed until it was diagnosed so I was in a depression so I was withdrawing from society and really just not in a good place at all and almost um, in this sort of isolated frustrated state where I assumed that this was my new normal. I had two years of feeling this law and then, and nobody could give me any answers. And I was completely lost and desperate, really desperate. And it was only when I went to my annual gynecology exam, I just broke down and my consultant there said, you know, what's going on? What's wrong? So I told him my story and he said, yep, these are valid symptoms of perimenopause and I can help you. You're not the only person that's going through this. And I see this all day, every day with loads of women. And I was like, what's perimenopause? (laughs) I'd never heard of the word before. I mean, I'd heard of the word menopause and I knew that I was going to go through it and just assumed I was going to not have my periods and that might, I maybe have a few hot flashes, but never assumed that the symptoms that I'd been experiencing for two years, the depression and these horrible migraines, that they were symptoms of perimenopause, but neither did the medical team I was seeing either. Right. Right. And so I sort of then fell down 
like the perimenopause menopause rabbit hole started talking about it and I know that's how we connected because we sort of had yeah. a similar vision and it was from there that um, I started writing articles and pulling together a body of work and research and it, it was inevitable the book would come out of that because I had a lot of stuff yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. actually actually pulling the book together I did work with a, we have a mutual friend as well who is a writing coach and she sort of pointed out some glaring gaps in my book mm. and it was really good to have an, a third a second person like a third eye I was going to say on the book to say you know well what about this and, and what about that and so it was ultimately the book ended up being you know the what we know part of menopause like this is what happened to me and this is what we know this is what's going to happen and then the second part of the book is all strategy based, all things that women can do themselves. Women can control things and how they think and what they do and what choices they make. And I just wanted a book that I wanted, I needed eight years ago when I was in perimenopause. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that's the worst part about menopause is like, you know, it's, I always characterize it like, it's like, you know, you, you said this, like you're in your forties, you're like, okay, I got this life all figured out. And then whoops, somebody rips the rug out from underneath you. And because we've never talked about it before, we have no idea what's happening. And as women, we often turn it back on ourselves. Okay. What am I doing wrong? Like, you know what I mean? There must be something wrong with me. Am I going crazy? Am I losing it? And then all this is happening at the time where your external world is also changing. Like maybe your kids are leaving home. Like maybe you're feeling dissatisfied with your career. Like there's all of this happening at the same time. And it, it literally, it can be crazy making. I question my sanity for a good couple of years. Like what the hell is wrong with me? Like why everybody else has got their shit together. Why can't I get this going in the right direction? And like hating every part of my life. It's exactly that. And don't you think, Jen, that like the, the part of the invisibility and isolation that perimenopause brings with it, menopause brings with it, is the fact that there's all of this stuff going on internally. It's almost invisible. Nobody can sort of really see right. it. So you're in this place where you do fill yourself with shame because you, you you assume it's something you're doing. You assume that you've done something for this to happen and so because you're not getting answers from the people that you're turning to. And so you internalize everything. You tend not to share it. That's what we tend to do. And that whole thing is then you look at your external factors and the extra stresses that are going on around you. And it's just a terrible time in a, in a woman's life. And so I think part of the big picture is that if unless we have conversations like this, unless we go yeah. on platforms and start normalizing this period of our life that's ultimately being shrouded in some type of a veil like a shame a shame veil that we're not allowed to talk yeah. about we're never ever gonna be able to move forward and my vision is that you know the next generation coming up can go to their doctor and say I'm not feeling well I don't know what's going on. And the doctor's saying, well, you're 45. Chances are it's going to be hormonally related. Let's go down that route and help you out. Yeah. A, a woman can say to her friend, I feel terrible. Is this perimenopause? You know, the, the Baroness von yeah. sketch. Yeah. <laughs> is this perimenopause? Because, because what happens is, I mean, and the depression for me, the mental health aspect of perimenopause is one of the biggest symptoms that a lot of women struggle with. Mm. and we know that estrogen is a huge player in this it crosses the blood-brain barrier it impacts our cognitive ability it impacts our mental health we know this this is fact and it's so unfortunate it's not recognized by the medical community because then they, they then simply just prescribe us anti antidepressants yeah and it's not the actual treatment that we need but so we've got these um, mental health aspects which many many women struggle with and then, like you say, we have career decisions to make. I don't have the numbers and I'm trying to find them, but the numbers in the UK are showing that the amount of women that are leaving their jobs through menopause, is ex it's just increasing all the time because mm. they can't cope and they're not getting support, but they're not getting support because they're not talking about it and yeah. the employees don't know about it. It's like this vicious circle. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think in a culture where, you know, women are like we are conditioned from the beginning of time to, you know, our value is on how we look. Our value is on our ability to reproduce. Our value is on, you know, the things that we do for other people. So when all those three things start to go awry, right, you start questioning like, 
okay, where do I fit in? And do I fit in? And how do I fit in? And it's this feeling of being completely out of control, quite frankly. I mean, I remember feeling that way. Sometimes well, those three things happen at the same time. Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly what you're saying. It just hits you like a wrecking ball. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, and estrogen is like probably the main player in all of this. As it starts to sort of like decline to its like low threshold, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of integral in most systems in our body. So we see changes in our skin and our, and our hair. You know, we do stop reproducing. Like all of these things are sort of happening. And mm-hmm. even our relationship, it's changed because of the sort of connection with the oxytocin in our body. I talk about that in the book, the whole we to me phenomena that happens where, you know, we go from being this woman that gives all the time. And what we've sort of always done, we're always putting ourselves last on the pecking order. Yeah. We never put ourselves first, but there's a big shift that happens in that where we actually realize that, you know, Something has to give. I have to let something go because it's really important that I start taking care of myself. Um, And that's something I really encourage in women to do. But it's really, it's a really hard thing. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and she, and she was like, I've got your book and I need to read it because things aren't going well for me. You know, my kid's struggling at school. My husband's really stressed. And I've got these terrible perimenopause symptoms and I just, you know, I hate the way I look. I hate the way I feel. I've got no time for anyone, but I can't even think about that right now because my kid's stressed and my husband's stressed. Mm. And I wanted to, I said to her, why don't you consider like flipping that on its head? Because the minute that you start taking care of yourself, the minute that you can start controlling your health issues that are out there, you start working on your mental health and, and your general well-being. When you feel in a better place, then your ability to give and help and and be around for the rest of your family increases and improves. And so, but many women can't go there. It's just the way, like you said, I think we're conditioned to, to, to give all the time. For sure. And then, you know, and then when our body stops cooperating with us, like we're not sleeping, you know, we're, you know, depressed or whatever, we're like, okay, our body is betraying us, right? Like it feels like a huge betrayal because now I can't do these things. But to the point that you just made is if you flip it on your, on its end and be like, okay, I'm going to focus on me first so that I can continue to do these things or to not do those things or to focus, you know what I mean? But it's all about focusing on you and anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while, Um, has heard me say like this is a transition from focusing in like all of our energy being on what we do for others and now focusing on ourselves and how like all of the gifts and the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience we have and then how do we want to be with that in the world like what gifts do we have to share like what's important to us what are our values and I know you talk about that that in the book as well too but it really is like flipping a switch and sometimes I think menopause is like the perfect pattern interrupt to get us to flip that switch. Because for most of us, and I'm going to include myself in this, had I not had the symptoms I had, I wouldn't have stopped long enough to really reevaluate, okay, (laughs) where do I need to go? Otherwise, I'd still be chugging along on the same old street, right? Yeah, yeah. And probably burning out as well, because that's ultimately what happens, right? And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I, I actually agree. I do believe that menopause is that real pivotal point and even mm-hmm. we've even got studies that show us that it actually is a pivotal point because you know we have statistics that show us that suicide rates eating disorders and divorce rates are highest in the peak of menopause oh. right so women uh, yeah and so we know that women are reevaluating things it may not be that the real I, I would say you should never make it a, a decision while you're in perimenopause it's almost <laughs> like don't make it a don't make a decision when you're drunk. But but like, so we know that there are laws that women reach where they start to reevaluate sort of like life choices. But we also know from some studies in Stanford University about the U curve of happiness. Mm, yeah. and if you think about the U curve, like the shit, the letter U, I'm doing it with my hands. I don't know if anyone can see me. <laughs> yeah. The bottom of that usually falls in an age range between sort of like the late 40s, early 50s, which we know is the average age for menopause. And then as you start going up the other side of that U curve, um, the studies have shown that we become more content and joyful and happier in our lives. We are more at ease with our decisions and we, we actually find it a clearer path moving forward. And I actually have 
felt that as a specific shift myself. And mm-hmm. I obviously I learned a lot writing the book and it made me reevaluate a lot of things. But even if I hadn't written the book, I'm now postmenopausal and I have been for like two years. I suppose it was a little bit early, but I started making different choices. I started making different decisions that stopped me being that people pleasing yes person and turned me into the person that says yes to the things that are going to benefit either me, my family, or the other things of value in my life that also play to any strengths I've got. And I know we're going to talk about this later, but my life choices now are so much easier to make that I say no to more things than I say yes to. And I see that many women do. They don't tolerate as much crap as we used to. And it's just, I think that menopause can be hard and women can do hard things. And when you come out the other side, it's like, look what I just did now. I'm not going to put up with any more shit. I'm done. I'm done with it, right? Well, and it's, I like, I characterize it as well too, as a period of time where we're taking our power back, right? Like, yeah, it's like, we've been handing it out all over the place, you know, our kids, our husbands, our jobs, the the world. And like you just said, right now you say no. And now all of a sudden menopause happens. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm number one now. So I'm taking back my power and I'll tell you (laughs) when you can have a piece of it. Right. And like, so it's a really important transition because you know, like I truly believe that women, like postmenopausal women, women through menopause are meant to do amazing things in the world. Like we that become the, the leaders, the guides, the way showers, right, for the generations coming behind us. Like, I don't know, my 27-year-old daughter knows more about menopause than <laughs> I think any 27, because everything that happened along the way, I shared it with her. I told her my about it. My 17-year-old boy does. My 13-year-old boy Amazing. Does. When my children have partners I am assuming they're going to be female and they have children that are girls they're going to be ready for this and it was really interesting because you know it's not in the school curriculum it's not something that's spoken about even though it's a life transition for women and it's changed in the UK is now in the UK thankfully because they have oh is it nice yeah yeah they had a big movement to sort of change some of the ways menopause is introduced in the workplace in doctor surgeries and in education but you know, my son had a psychology class, my 17, and he loves it. It's his favorite class. And he's really cerebral and he really loves to know how the mind works and processes things. And the teacher turned around and said, so can anybody identify a time in a woman's life around about late 40s, early 50s, where they may struggle with mental health issues and some cognitive decline? And that's known in, and we know this from a psychological perspective. My son's like slowly putting his hand up and cringing at the same time going, isn't it menopause? Yes, son, it's menopause. And I was like, see, I gave you that gift. But you know, what happened is I was very, I wrote this book and I had to say to my husband, I'm going to be very real in here because I can't write a book and not keep and keep things out. I have to be very honest. Like I literally put my vagina on the line and my mental health issues and all of that. Like I... I have to be honest, because if I don't, then I'm not being my authentic self. And so in the process of writing the book, I also had that conversation with my children and and said to them, you know, this is what I'm going through and this is how it presents itself. And our relationships, if I do screech at you, which I did through perimenopause, I had some horrible examples of what a terrible mother I felt like I was. And the kids have just been brilliant. They're just like, we know that this is like a chemical thing that's like an explosion that you're not in control of. And we're not going to hold that against you. And they appreciate knowing about it. And I just think that it's now not a word that people I roll at in my house, you know. Yeah. And hopefully that spreads far and wide. Like I, you know, I think all of us women going through this now, hopefully are, as we share more and more at books like yours, that it will be a different experience, right? That women will come into this period of life dreading it because that's the other thing too, right? Like there's this big M is out there somewhere and God help me, I don't want to get there. And we fight it and we pretend it's not happening. And like you said, there's shame associated with it. Well, I think there's, I think there's two streams of women. I think there's the ones like me that didn't know anything about it and had these misconceptions about what it really was and what it isn't and what it isn't. And then there's those that are a bit more clued in because maybe the conversation is changing a little bit and they're maybe, like you said, dreading it. And so there's, you know, there's, it's still not something that people sort of want to like are looking yeah. forward to. People don't go, yeah. oh, menopause. And, you know, I think that, One of the reasons I wrote the book is because I really 
dug deep to try to find knowledge because I believe knowledge equals choice because when you in those two years where I was floundering and isolated I had no choices to make because I didn't know what was going on and the minute that I was told it was perimenopause and that was the reason for my depression and for my migraines then I had choices to make I could talk to my doctor about treatment options I could look at lifestyle factors that were impacting how I was feeling and it just took a huge weight off my shoulder. I actually didn't feel physically much better, but I just felt like the Lord had yeah. lessened somewhat. And, you know, I speak to my community all the time on Facebook about this. And, you know, when I was in that my lowest point, I asked people how they felt at their lowest point. And, you know, I hear the words like boredom. I'm bored of myself. I'm exhausted. I, I don't like myself. And, and us talking about it being this, pivotal powerful moment is not very tangible to women who are in that situation but I think it can be a place that they can get to if they have the knowledge if they know what's going on and they can make choices that's empowering there's nothing more empowering than having control a hundred percent and that's why I think this book is so 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 important so let's talk about symptoms for a second because um, how long have you got (laughs) I was just gonna say I mean let's so let's focus on kind of like what do you see as common like the top maybe four or five symptoms because I know there is as individual as every person but just some things that people may or may not recognize happening in their own lives right now well it's really interesting because like you said it's a shared journey but very unique and my my menopause is probably nothing like yours and so right Yeah, I mean, I think there's a list out there that's like the 34 symptoms of menopause. And then there's another list that's the 50 symptoms of menopause. And and because estrogen is literally all over the body, there's receptors all over the body, everybody has a different experience. I mean, hot flashes are definitely part of that. and, Mm -hmm. And they don't sound like that's the problem. But when a woman has hot flashes and she struggles with them, some women can have 30 or 40 of them a day. It keeps them up at night. They struggle with night sweats, cold sweats, and it's life altering. It's not just a case of having a little sweaty brow. It's like (laughs) it literally, they want to strip their claws off and then they're freezing cold. And it happens in environments where it's not productive, like at work or, you know, like when they're they're really struggling. And so we know hot flashes are a a big problem for women. The mental health aspect of um, menopause Mm -hmm. is, something that's probably not talked about enough and is a massive issue. So if even women that have never struggled with depression and anxiety prior to this, which was me, can get hit with it, right? And so I really struggled with the depression, but I did have a couple of anxiety panic attacks that were really new to me with heart palpitations and, you know, fear associated yeah. with it. These are really common as well. And and then as talking about the mental health issues as well, we know that cognitive issues are problematic and many women really fear about the, the chances of, you know, getting Alzheimer's because of the oh, yeah. inability to like function, have full conversations, remember words. The short-term memory lapses are, are really quite scary I actually was on a podcast. I feel like mine have sort of sorted themselves out, but I was on a podcast two days ago and I was trying to talk about somebody who inspires me. It's Dr. Susan Kleiner. And I couldn't remember the name Kleiner. And I was so angry with myself that I couldn't remember. But then I have to let that go because I'm just like, it's one of those things. I can't dwell on it and make myself feel bad about it. It happens. and I know, um, right? (laughs) Who knew estrogen was required for an intelligent conversation? myself all the time like gapped out in the middle of conversation where was I going to say oh yeah it'll come back and I don't think it's a problem to say that like it'll come back it didn't for me actually until like two days later and that's usually the case and then you know some of the other lesser discussed symptoms which I think are embarrassing for women are things like the vaginal atrophy problems or the genital urinary symptoms of menopause because it isn't just the vagina it's the whole pelvic floor can be impacted right you know, the experts predict that most women post-menopause will have some type of vaginal atrophy, most women, unless they're on an uh, estrogen supplement of some, like a HRT. Mm -hmm. Um, 
even then they may need additional help for estrogen to help localized in the vaginal area. So, you know, women can start having incontinence issues because of the integrity and the structure of the pelvic floor region can be completely impacted by the falling estrogen in that area. And women will get repeated UTIs. And these infections, Mm -hmm. like in the elderly, women in nursing homes get them like weekly or even daily. And it usually is down to the lack of estrogen. And I remember speaking to an expert, Dr. Avram Blooming on this. And he said, if these people in nursing homes, instead of being given antibiotics, were given localized estrogen cream, it would help, it would solve the problem. The solutions to these type of problems are super simple. But because women are embarrassed or nervous to say, I pee my pants when I jump, or I tear when I have sex, it hurts when I have sex. I keep getting vaginal like um, UTIs or vaginal bacteria, like you can't just put up with those things. You have to go and get help. And usually the help, the solutions are simple. And, but we get ourselves in such a knot over these things. It's horrifying. Like, you know, it's not conversations that are easy to have, but you can't let your health go to risk over any of these things. And, you know, one more other thing. So you were talking about other symptoms as well is like, so we've got um, and that some physical things that women will struggle with are things like, and me being in the exercise world, this is relevant, are things like joint, joint pain because we have estrogen receptors in our joints. And so women will think they've got um, rheumatoid arthritis um, and they have mm. swelling, swelling in their joints. And so, yeah, I mean, it, the symptoms that are nothing like you think they're going to be. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it makes you realize like how important hormones are in our body. I mean, it's literally so many functions of things that we take for granted that are driven by hormones. And when they start to go awry, it can literally happen to any part of your body, I guess. And when you're talking about the power of our hormones, I mean, it's, it's so interesting when you look at estrogen as a, a hormone on its own, it never just works in isolation. So it works with other hormones within the body. And I am not an endocrinologist and even endocrinologists have trouble understanding it fully. Like it's such a complex area of science. So when I see hormone balancing experts on Instagram, I just delete them straight away because if endocrinologists who spend 13 years in medical school are still learning about this, somebody who did a weekend course on Instagram is not going to help you. But yeah. we do, but what we do know from the research is that estrogen interacts with other hormones. And the other hormones I talk about in the book are insulin and cortisol and ghrelin and leptin. And ghrelin and leptin aren't names you need to remember, but you need to know that they are our hunger and society um, satiation hormones. Like they're the ones yeah. that tell you you're hungry yeah. and the ones that tell you that you're full. They're all disrupted slightly. So we have to sort of pay a little bit of attention to that. And we also know that estrogen is a protective hormone and it protects our heart. It protects our bones as well as our brain. Yeah. And so postmenopausal women may not be having as many symptoms. They may still have some symptoms, but then open to diseases that actually kill us, right? So the mm-hmm. things that are highest risk for us as we age are cardiovascular disease and stroke, our number one killer, Osteoporosis impacts one in two women break bones postmenopausal. 40,000 women a year in the USA alone die as a complication of a hip fracture. That's more than people, women die of all ages of breast cancer. It's like it's high numbers. Wow, and I didn't realize it was that big. Wow. Yeah, and women are more at risk for Alzheimer's as well. And mm-hmm. these are all estrogen related issues. And so we know that. And so if we know moving into postmenopause that these are risks for us, and maybe we don't take HRT, and so that's not an option or a choice for us. We need to take a handle on our health. We need yeah. to make lifestyle choices in our diet, in our stress management, and in our nutrition that support our bodies to be as healthy and strong as we can as we age. Yeah. So this is a perfect opportunity. Let's talk about your four hacks to thrive. So you talk about what to eat, how to move, how to manage stress, and how to think. So I mean, I know we we could be talking about this for hours, (laughs) but like, what are kind of your top line on how do we eat? Yeah, my elevator pitch for them all. So so when I talk about the nutrition portion in the book, I I actually spend a whole chapter talking about why weight gain may happen, right? Or body shape, shape shifting might happen. But when it comes to nutrition, what most people don't understand about nutrition is that 
small behavioral habits are more impactful and more successful for long-term success than going on restrictive diets. Diets ultimately don't last and they because you may lose weight initially but then if you don't learn anything from that your ch chances are you're going to yeah. put weight back on but if you have knowledge basic nutritional information knowledge and then you also learn how to nourish your body by working with signals that your body gives you then it can make the choices you make about the food you eat and when to eat and how to eat easier and so an example of that is in the book, I talk about three basic habits that are easy to adopt. They're not easy to do. They're just easy to get your head around. And you have right. to practice and practice and practice them because in, ultimately, we go into things with bad habits, like learning to drive when you're older or something, right? You know, you, and so having to relearn stuff is hard, right? Right. So but I already said your hunger hormones um, are a little bit out of whack because they're impacted by estrogen. And so what you can do to help those is to start to recognize what true hunger is. And so um, I give an example of what a hunger scale is. Like, So are you really hungry? Could you wait 30 minutes? Could you actually see if it was boredom or just habit? Because you always go for your muffin at three o'clock, you know. So you're trying to like retrain the body to really understand what true hunger feels like. And if I'm waiting, asking you to wait 30 minutes to eat your meal, you're not going to die. Nobody died waiting to eat. <laughs> like just calm down. <laughs> but then just to try and recognize what true hunger is and not just eating because it's noon or not, you know, like actually working with that. And then knowing that there's neurotransmitters in the body that send signals back and forth from when you eat to when you stop eating to tell you when you're full. And so slowing down the eating process is an integral part of that. So slowing down the eating process, making it take at least 20 minutes to happen. And to do that, if you have to put your fork down in between eating, if you have to drink water in between, whatever it takes, that's another way you can sort of tune into body signals to understand what it feels like to feel nourished with your food. And the sort of final part of that is to like understand when to stop. Like not to overeat, yeah. when to feel satisfied. My old nana used to eat her food and she'd always like leave a little bit on a plate and put a knife and fork down and go, well, that was sufficient. And so it's like <laughs> that type of attitude, like eat until you've had sufficient. Don't eat till you're that guy on Monty Python that eats one more whiff of mint and then explodes. Like no, <laughs> nobody wants that. And so I actually spend a lot of time talking about how to eat before I even talk about what to eat. Right. right. And then I'm just going to the basic nutritional science about, you know, how to nourish the body and what the requirements are for your body as you go through menopause and as you age. And so that's essentially my nutritional portion. And I, and I try and give people like little small tidbits to try. You know, I want you to try some things and see how that feels. And it, does that support your goals? Yeah. One of the things that I hear and I hear this a lot, a lot is, oh, I can't eat carbs or fruit anymore because my body can't handle it because of menopause. And so many times I want to say, uh, that's not true. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Like, I mean, first why, of all, why did, do we, why when do we did carbs become the, yeah, why do, I actually don't know when did carbs become the enemy? I mean, if people are saying I can't eat a bag of chips to say carbs, well, actually they're more fat than they are carbs anyway. So one, you've got <laughs> yeah. nutritional information wrong, but I think carbs have been given a real bad name. And so, and essentially the three macronutrients um, that we get from food, protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Alcohol is a carbohydrate, but it sort of stands alone on its own. Right. Essentially there are three. Carbohydrates in its molecular breakdown state. So when you eat something that's a carbohydrate and it enters the bloodstream through your small intestine, that's how it goes through. It's always a glucose molecule. Glucose is sugar. So anything that's a carbohydrate ends up in sugar in the body. Even broccoli, everything that's a carbohydrate, it's finite state, it's glucose. So when people say I'm giving up carbs and I'm like, are you giving up broccoli? Like, come on, like, <laughs> right. let's just talk about what a carb is. Carb can be broke down into a few different elements. You've got the simple sugars. And they're the things I think people are talking about when they say they're going to mm, give up carbs. Right. Then you've got your starches and your complex carbs, which include fiber. And these are essential in the body. And a woman going through menopause requires carbohydrates for its energy source. It's the most um, efficient way to get 
um, nutrients to the brain. It's our primary source of energy. And so when women say they're given up carbs, they're basically given up the body's preferred energy source. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, what they do need to do is maybe make different choices and prioritize different carbohydrates. So for me, the carb of choice that you should like eat with abandon is vegetables and vegetables are full of fiber. Mm -hmm. Fruit is full of fruit. It's got more fructose in it. It's a sugar with more fructose in, but it's also the majority of it is fiber and water. And it's very, very difficult to get fat eating fruit. And most people do not overeat fruit at all. Most people have an apple a day. So like for me, if you're eating fruit and vegetables, and you've got a heavy plant based focus in your diet, that's really supporting the body. It's supporting the cholesterol, your cholesterol level, it'll help you poo, it'll sort, sort out your energy levels, whole grains come next. And you know, they're again, a great way to build up fiber in the body. Most women don't eat enough fiber, we need about 30 grams a day, and we're not getting that. When it comes down to the, the carbs, as in like the quotation marks, most people are probably talking about cakes and biscuits Reds. and cookies and <laughs> yeah. bread. Um, and there is a place for that. And I don't know why, why people think that they are bad and harmful for you. But I think that it's probably the ratio of foods that we eat that need to be looked at. And I don't talk about calories in the book, really, but I do talk about energy balance. So one, if you're just looking for overall health, and you're looking to support your body at the weight it's at now, you should look at your plate that you're eating and think, First of all, where's my protein? Because that's the most important mm. macronutrient. Right. Secondly, have I got enough veggies on my plate? It should half fill your plate, your plate full of veggies. Get a ton of vegetables in there. They're basically calorie-free and they fill you. They're an amazing way to just sort of feel satisfied. So it's the protein. And then fats usually are not usually required to be added because we often cook with olive oils or butters and stuff. And so um, you probably don't need to supplement too much, but fat is not bad and I think we're over that conversation now as well yeah yeah, but yeah you should also be able to have you should never need to give up foods that you enjoy to live a healthy life it's yeah. not required and we do know there are some nuances that happen through menopause and we know that we do have a sensitivity to fructose but not the fructose in fruit Fructose and fruit, essentially you don't need to worry about it because it's I said it's more fiber and water than it is anything else but how we process fructose through the liver is impacted slightly, but that just means you can't have five muffins. You can probably have one. Like you don't want to be adding too much refined or added sugar, added fat type. The ultra processed, I even hate saying that because they still can have a place in your diet. It's just, it shouldn't be the majority of the yeah. food that you're eating. Common and, sense, um, really. <laughs> it's really common sense. And yet out yeah. there, you'll say that you'll see that intermittent fasting is the way to go or keto is the way to go. And I need to tell people right now, the evidence does not support that. There is no evidence to show that premenopause, perimenopause, postmenopause women do better on those diets. And in fact, if you actually want a diet specific book, there's a great book out called The Menopause Diet. And it's written by two dietitians. And it's essentially the DASH and the Mediterranean diet, which are the two most heavily researched diets out there, which is ultimately lean protein, grains, vegetables, fruits with some treats. It's like it's common sense. Now, if somebody wants to lose weight, then you have to be in an energy balance to do that. There's no right. other way that can happen. So if intermittent fasting works for you and keto works for you to lose weight, it's only because of the reduction in calories Sorry. compared right. to what you're using. So um, the book talks about like how to sort of like approach these things. Like every single day, I have toast with butter and marmalade every single day. And I'm not giving up bread for anyone because there's no need to, right? Like it's not, it's not essential. And so well, yeah, your bread, your bread posts on Instagram are like my, my favorite things. <laughs> I'm like, I became the sourdough queen in lockdown. I think I should have been a 1940s housewife. I mean, <laughs> honestly, in the warriors, I had my vegetable garden going. I was crocheting, making bread. It was the best. You know? Amazing. So yeah. let's talk about okay. move. Let's talk about movement. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I waffled on. That was supposed to be a quick. No, no, one, that's I, okay. No, it was all yeah. really important stuff. Yeah. So movement um, is almost split into two parts in the book. 
And I do have a heavy focus on strength training. And I focus on that because if I could get every woman to strength train in their 30s onward, I would they'd be so happy. It would be like an ultimate goal of mine. In the UK now, they're suggesting from a health point of view that women um, well, people, I always say women because I know this is a female audience, yeah. but people resistance train two times a week. They're starting to recognize this in the health circles, right? As far as menopause is concerned and aging is concerned, sarcopenia is one of our biggest problems. Sarcopenia is muscle wastage mm, deterioration right. that happens from our 30s and declines at, um, a couple of percent every year. And it sort of is accelerated through menopause as well. We, we see in perimenopause, an increased decline in muscle mass and an increased propensity to gain fat. And so what we need to do as menopausal women is we need to actively promote lean body mass gain. And that doesn't mean getting big and bulky. It means preserving, maintaining, and probably building on the muscle that you have. And you do that by lifting heavy weights and I don't mean hit train and jumping up and down but that can have a place but you do that by stimulating muscle growth through resistance training strength training in addition to eating adequate protein the process is called muscle protein synthesis and that actually is impacted by in menopause and so what that just means simply is that you have to focus on eating protein because your body needs it and you have to do strength training because your body needs it And what also happens with strength training is the muscle pulls away from the bone as it moves in strength Mm -hmm. training. That stimulates bone growth. And so one of our biggest killers is osteoporosis. As I said, it's one of our biggest health issues, I should say. There is, you can die from breaking, but it's a biggest one of our health issues. And so you can reverse, you can even reverse osteoporosis with strength, uh, enough strength training, with enough um, stimulus on the bone. It's also protective for the heart. We've seen that, you know, it can have in lean body mass means that your health markers can reduce, cholesterol levels go down, obesity can be reduced, it can reduce insulin resistance. There's so many benefits from it. The um, hormonal impact of resistance training is that we don't know why or how, but somehow it impacts our um, intensity of vasomotor symptoms, which are, are our night sweat, hot flashes, cold flashes, it can reduce them by 70%. So if you're struggling with those, I mean, you've got nothing to lose literally from doing that. And lots to gain. <laughs> lots to gain. And I try and I've given like an entry level workout program for 12 weeks in the book that you can also pimp up if you're a bit of a more athletic woman and you want to work a bit harder. And I suggest that, you know, when you're in perimenopause and you're having these symptoms that literally don't have you on the sofa for days and days I'm not telling you to go on strength train I'm I'm actually saying to you in the book please honor your body let's just see where you are right now if your joints are sore let's pull back on the exercise and let's just get you moving somehow that suits you that doesn't hurt there's a place for everybody there's an intensity level for everybody For some people, like, so here's a great example of squat. For some people that the joints are aching and they're struggling to move, getting up from a chair could be their squat. Yeah. For somebody who's been lifting all of their lives and can go to a squat rack, a barbell squat could be their squat. There's a, you know, there's an entry level for everyone. And then in addition to that, I I talk about the importance of NEAT. And NEAT is the non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which ultimately means any movement that you do outside of your exercise. And so the reason that that's so important is it builds, it actually burns some of the lion's share of your calories through the day. Mm-hmm. Your, body burn, your body burns a lot just by functioning and resting and feeding the brain and all of those things. And the exercise part of the calorie burn is actually pretty insignificant. But the neat exercise that you do, the non-exercise activity, sorry. So this is like pottering around the house, doing your housework, going in the garden, going for a walk. All of those things are super important. And not only can they help with your energy balance from the calorie point of view, but they're also, there's numerous research studies show how beneficial that is for most of your health markers. People who walk every day usually have some of the best health markers. 
you know, low, yeah. lower cholesterol, less hypertension, all of those types. Yeah. And I have to say walking was the gift that menopause gave me because I mean, I've always been active in the gym, but I was so exhausted that I yes. literally couldn't. So the only thing I could do was walking. And then I realized, well, I actually really enjoy this. And know, so it's, even though I'm back in the gym, it's something that I now do every day because I, I love it. Right. Pop in a podcast like or that. whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I was like that from running, running to walking. I couldn't run. It just had yeah. me exhausted for days. So I would yeah. go out for walks instead. And at first it was hard to get my head around that. And I was like, oh God, have I become that woman that walks? I, said, oh, I, hate, I, hate, I died a little bit inside. But now I'm like, yeah, I'm that woman that walks, you know? So. I know. Well, you have a quote in the book that says something like, don't let the old lady in. There's a story to that. So I think it actually comes from a, an American country song. But in the gym that I go to, or, or I did pre-pandemic, um, there was always like the same five or six people, you know, we get our gym buddies. And one of them was a 73 year old guy. And he came up to me and he went, I love the fact that you're in your 40s and you're like so fit and healthy and you're an inspiration to the other women in the gym. And I just said, dude, you're 73 and you're here five days a week. I don't go five days a week. I went, you're the inspiration to all of us. And he went, that's because I don't let the old man in. And I went, I'm going to, that's going to be my mantra. I'm not going to let the old I love in. That. And that's not a disrespectful statement not to older women. It's just like trying to remain youthful in your attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And keep moving, right? Like just keep moving. Cause as mm. soon as you stop moving, that's when the, it's the big downhill slide, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's when, yeah. So, I, I, yeah. and one of the other things I say in the book is a, a movement build life is more rewarding than a sedentary fold life. So even if walking is the only thing you get from this podcast and you only go out five or 10 minutes a day, it will absolutely change the way you see the world and feel about yourself. And 110%, 110%. And yes. if you start out walking 10 minutes, I guarantee you, your walks are going to get longer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Guaranteed. You'll, become a, you'll become a rambler. That's what we call them in the UK. They'll go rambling. Rambling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about managing stress. So this one was really hard to lesson for me. And I have now very, very clearly seen the correlation between stress and menopause symptoms. Like I can tell it's like, if I start having a hot flash, I'm like, oh, okay. Am I feeling stressed about something? Am I overdoing it? Like, it's literally a cue for me to be like, okay, dial some things back, take a rest day, you know, meditate, like whatever it is. So let's talk about that because I think that is probably the thing that people don't realize has such a huge impact on how you experience menopause. And it's really interesting because when I started having migraines, I remember my friend who was a cardiologist said the number one reason for having migraines is stress. And I was like, no, it's not. Mine's not stress, right? Because then I was stressed when I said that to him, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then, and, and then I realized mine were hormonal, but there was triggers and there was triggers that set them off. And maybe there were some food triggers but there was definitely some circumstantial mm-hmm. stress-related triggers. And a lot of symptoms can be stress-based as well. You know, like, like the hot flashes, they know there's some stress element involved with that. But, you know, what I, I think is really important to, and, and it's, so I'm so glad you said it the way you did, because I think what women don't realize is if they think everything is like all n- nailed down, like they've got the nutrition and they've got their, you know, exercise workouts all sorted, but they're stressed to the hilt and they literally can't cope with their everyday existence. Those things aren't going to benefit you unless you get your stress management in order. If your cortisol levels are on full fire all the time, you're not going to see the benefits of everything you do. And so four areas I talk about in the second part of the book have to work together. They're not standalone. Your body doesn't work in isolation. It works as a big unit and all of those dominoes have to line up more than ever in your life. And that's what I sort of really learned as well myself is that, you know, like if I was eating well and I was exercising well and I was sleeping well, but I was super stressed about something, then if I didn't manage that, then it would all go to pot. And so you, you learn the hard way. And so what we do know about menopause is that estrogen, guess what? Intrinsically linked with cortisol. And so there were moments in that I talk about in the book where I lost my shit like nobody's business. I ruined a Christmas one time. I screamed, screamed at my kid like this wild banshee and then fell on the floor weeping. It was like, God, Been there. what's become of me? Yeah. And, and I didn't recognize myself. So God, the family didn't recognize me, right? And so if you don't actively seek out measures to manage your stress, 
then uh, it's just not going to go away. Like, so yeah, going for a walk is another great example. Doing deep belly breaths, belly breaths that interact with your diaphragm. So your diaphragm is your breathing muscle. And I'm going to tell women to get a big fat belly and it's what they don't want to do because we're always being like conditioned to hold it in tight. But relax your belly and get a big full belly breath. It elicits the parasympathetic nervous system, that calming response in you which is why yoga is so good through perimenopause yeah. because it's just, it calms you down, right? And again, the sleep is in, intertwined with that because if you're highly stressed and you've got sort of all the hormonal issues, chances are you're not sleeping well. It's one of the other things that women really struggle with is insomnia or often waking up during the night. And so if you're not sleeping well, chances are you're going to be having these high cortisol issues as well. So even looking at your sleep hygiene is really important. Getting off your screens and having a bath and not drinking alcohol and all of the things that can just calm the body down. And it's a huge, big topic. And, and you know, we could dig into it a little bit deeper, but, you know, the exercise can help with managing your stress as well. So like yeah. I say, they're intertwined. But um, it was a hard one for me to do too. Like I'm yeah. not someone who's still or calm. I'm like yeah. a roadrunner. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing. Like, like, again, I look at this as such a huge gift of menopause for me. And that was really about learning, like what my stress triggers were, you know, because I had to be a lot more diligent, because my symptoms would be that much more worse, like heart palpitations and hot flashes and insomnia. And, and through learning what those triggers were, right, because I was so, so unaware of what was actually how stressed I actually was, I didn't realize it had become just a way of being. Right. And it wasn't until I got to this point where I'm like, okay, menopause has now given me breathing techniques. It's given me meditation. Right. It's just given me so many and made me just so aware of being able to manage your stress. Because you say this in the book, like we're entering an incredibly powerful time in our lives and we can't be doing all this great shit if we are stressed to the hilt. So it's like another like the body's kind of course correction, really. Right, and say. I do, and I love that. Like, I, I highly recommend that women just pull back, take a step back, and yes. just like, I, one of the things I really like to do is like set my day up well. And it can be mm. hard, but like, I'll try and get up 15 minutes earlier than everybody else. I'll get a cup of coffee. I'll go and sit outside. I have my, I'm old school. I have a diary online, but I have one written down and I write <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. down and I review my day. And I just, I'm out, and I'm in Texas, so it's lovely weather. And I sit outside and I just, and I'm grounded and I and it honestly has just been a game changer I feel like I'm a total cliche now I've become a middle-aged woman but you know whatever it works right well I mean all the stuff that we scoffed at when we were younger we're like oh 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 it actually has a purpose (laughs) oh that's too funny and then the very last one that you talked about is how to think and I think we've covered kind of little bits of that as we've been weaving through we have, so I'll finish off for just by talking about strengths and values, because I do think yes. it's probably the most valuable part of this. And we did touch on it earlier. Now, these are both psychological tests that you can do to identify your personal values and your personal strengths. And I wrote this chapter with a psychologist. If ever you want her on the show, you should get her on. She's a she's brilliant. She's a friend of mine from Toronto, and she was a client. And after our workouts, our group workouts, we all would sit in the cafe and drink coffee and put the world to rights. And she always had this really like sage, sensible advice. And so as soon as I knew I wanted to write about shift happening, I wanted her involved with this, right? And so values are not goals, but values are things that, and you take a test online and we, you can put the links maybe in the show notes. And values help you identify you know, what your purpose is, why, why you do the things you do. And mine were family, friendship, kindness. It's usually those type of things. And you answer questions and it helps you look at the road ahead and go, right, so I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? Because I've got a big ego off of vanity. Or am I doing this? Because I want to support my values of being a strong family person and supporting my friends. And so choices become easier when you work with those values. Yeah. Just the strength part of it, uh, these are your personal character traits. And so mine, you do, again, you do a test and it gives you five or six like cascading answers. And my, I thought mine was going to be something like empathy or kindness or something. Cause you know, you've got these ideas in your head about what right. your biggest, biggest strengths are. My biggest strength was curiosity, which I was a bit disappointed in, but in psychological terms, when you look up the definition, it gives you them at the end of the test. It's curiosity means to, 
find an interest or a passion in something to fall down the rabbit hole and to garner all of this information. And then when you have that, to share it, to help others. And then my next one was like helping others actually. So it's mm. sort of like, and it, and it was just, then I was just like, that's why I wrote the book, right? Clearly that's yeah. why I sort of do the things I do. And so for other people, when you know what your values are, why you do what you do based on your character's strengths, Oh my God, it's life-changing. And I, it makes me yeah. so excited talking about this stuff from a layman's perspective. Clearly, I'm not a psychologist and I've probably messed that all up. But it's just helped me make better choices. Like I said, I don't say yes as much as I used to. Well, and I think the thing is, you know, what I took away from reading that chapter is if you are living a life that goes against your values and strengths, it's going to be stressful. <laughs> Right. Which then, you know, right. Right. And it all links back. It's like the whole, like, it's like the icing on the cake, like start there and then work your way back. It's so interesting, but like, you know, and this, why I love this book so much is like, there's so much practical. And like, as I said before, really well researched information that leads you to the place of power, being really empowered, being empowered with the knowledge, being empowered with the control, being able to show up as your best self for this next chapter of your journey, of your life, right? You know and that? it, that's exactly yeah. because it reminds me of the difference between, say, doing a Weight Watchers diet program to doing habitual changes in your nutritional outlook. Because mm. if we look at menopause as just the Weight Watchers diet and just getting over it and just fixing it or whatever, yeah. well, what do you do afterwards? What happens exactly. is you potentially, you potentially have got half your life left to live. And if you don't have a handle on that, you're not going to be as fulfilled as you can be. You need to be able to be empowered with choice, have knowledge, make good choices and be happy. Right. Yeah. And that U curve shows us it's possible. And so that was the like ultimate that's what I'd love for everybody, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, everybody who here who's listening to this podcast has heard me talk about, you know, creating your kick-ass next chapter. Well, this right here, this book, Menopocalypse, I said it again, is <laughs> choice. It's like, this is a, an important tool in that kit. Like you have to be able to empower yourself with all of this knowledge and kind of get yourself going in the right direction. Because like you said, like if you're looking at it as I, I have a weight problem, like as a weight problem, or I just need to get some sleep. And then you solve those things with sweet sleeping pills and a crash diet. It ain't going to last long. No, no. Right? You need to look at the holistic picture of it. And holistic is yeah. not a word I like love, but in this respect, I, I'm not talking about anything that's an alternative reality. Yeah. I'm talking about the whole shebang, everything. Yeah. Mind, body, soul, all together. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I actually look at this as kind of being, again, it's like nature has set us up perfectly. Like this isn't just some random happening, you know, there's a purpose to this. Like we're going through this process to set us up for, you know, different things that are expected of us in this next chapter. Like we said, going from serving everybody and everything to focusing on yourself. And there's a reason for all that. There is a reason for all that. And I feel like you said in our first conversation, because of course I've got no short-term memory, but I can remember all that time ago, like a year and a half ago, that you, that you said, um, you know, we're destined to be these old sages in a tent smoking a pipe. And I actually think that that's true. And if you don't recognize that value in yourself, yeah, then nobody else is going to. Yeah. Yeah. We, like it's, you know, and I, I don't know if I talked to you, to you about this before, but I was reading this article about killer whales, the only other mammal to go through menopause. And after they go through menopause, they become the leaders of their pods, right? Like they protect the young, they find yeah. the, the food, they, you know, they guide the pod to whatever place they want to go. And I'm like, yeah, is that not yeah. an amazing yeah. analogy, right? We're, be whales. Yeah. yeah, we're whales. We're just whales in cuter bodies. <laughs> <laughs> we're nicer hair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and nicer hair. Yeah, exactly. This has been an awesome conversation and we could have had probably two hours to go deep, but I am recommending every single solitary woman who is approaching or in or even post get Amanda's book because it is an invaluable tool for your own empowerment moving into this next chapter. So thank you. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate this time. And uh, how can people find more and where can they get your book? So if you go to Fit and Chips, which is my website, so F-I-T-N Chips, fitandchips.com, 
there's a link to everything so you can find me on my social pages there my menopause community and there's a link to buy books and so you know um i really obviously amazon sell it sells it and it's doing well on amazon but there's a link to the independent bookstores as well which of oh, course perfect I want, I want you to um i know the local bookstore in toronto sold out which was like really exciting for me because all oh. my friends went and bought it <laughs> it was really cute um but thank you so much for having me on to talk about this, Jen. I love the work you're doing and the message. And we obviously like um, have the same vision. And so we just yeah. need more and more women talking like this about yeah. how aging positively is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like my experience of menopause was not good. I know some women breeze through it, but they seem to be from my, from my, uh, from my own limited research, kind of one in a few. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. And, but we're, we are all struggling. And I think like to your point and, you know, to the point of this book, the more we understand about what's happening to us, the more in control we are of it and the more we are empowered. So it's so amazing. So thank you. Thank you. And yes, so everybody go buy this book, go check out Amanda's website, buy it from your independent bookstore if you can. And until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.